Hello, this is Daniel Mauter from the podcast Englishman in Montreal. In the previous episode, part two of three, I was discussing further similarities between cults and the disinformation movement, as I've labeled a new phenomenon, which has become very current. And we left off at the point where I was discussing how both these entities have a certain ability to prime their followers to have a scenario prepared for in advance and to have stock responses or expected responses an answer for every question in the last two analogies i'm going to draw i'm going to look at the um, use made by cults particularly but also by disinformation movements and online movements of a paradigm shift and an end time scenario or an impending apocalypse and finally the concept of being enlightened or awakened and then finally I've just got a few thoughts um, because very much of what I've been saying uh, will sound dismissive and derogatory and I'm far from being free from the same biases which I've discussed in the previous parts of this podcast but I thought it wouldn't be appropriate to leave off having just proposed these analogies which are really distillations of various thoughts and feelings I've had down the road without giving some kind of a solution or at least proposals for ways to counter disinformation movement and to help people who are still struggling with cult thinking or cultish behavior or even just to shake the bad taste that these entities can leave in your mouth so I will come up with my thoughts after that firstly though I want to move to this uh, concept of an impending apocalypse or the end time scenario the cults particularly make use of this um, to create a sense of urgency a sense that there is an impending very near day of judgment and an apocalypse and that's drawn largely from the Bible and from Revelation specifically and it's my understanding that this intentionally or not keeps the followers in a continual state of stress and motivation and in a sense in a passive subjective state the cult I'm referring to specifically um, believes that there'll be a rapture of those who are pure and then a judgment on those who are left behind now that creates a, a definite sense of urgency and also stress a 
constant background stress for those who fear being left behind. Also, many things from the Bible or from holy texts are taken as prophecy. Um, many likely events are seen as signs that the end times are being reached or that the prophecy is being fulfilled. Much reference is made to volcanoes, to earthquakes, to famine, to wars and rumours of wars without making the obvious inference that these are parts of human nature unfortunately. They're a part of human experience as long as records have existed and probably back before written records were kept. This is human behavior and this is nature. These A lot of these events like earthquakes may become more prevalent as we have no precedent. We have no no specific record of humans experiencing say a 10,000 or a 50,000 year cycle let alone a million years so the the use in holy books and scriptures of these apocalyptic happenings makes very great use of things that are very likely to happen just like fortune tellers and card readers do And um, really what they're harnessing is the hindsight bias. It's With hindsight, you can imagine everything that was prophesied has come to pass, while conveniently skipping over the things that were not prophesied that could be quite significant. And just having a few things that came to pass in hindsight, one example would be the prophecies of uh, Nostradamus. Having just one or two th of those things come to pass um, gives a certain legitimacy to the whole school of thought. So you have this um, apocalyptic scenario playing out and just serving to confirm among primed followers that this is the way it's going to happen. And they prime to the extent that they can conveniently ignore other things which would perhaps serve to disprove the entire theory, let alone any one individual prophecy. In the disinformation movement, it's slightly different. And um, the concepts are much more muddy. The threat is quite vague, in fact. Um, there's a lot of reference made to a new world order. And this is used to wrap up everything in a convenient explanation to make it sound as though it's part of a gigantic plan. Dare I use the word conspiracy? Rather than just a combination of random events and predictable human reactions to those. Every time one of those supposed prophecies comes true, it's given a, a huge amount of legitimacy by being exaggerated and referred to 
and real and fabricated evidence is presented to, to further reinforce that. So the entire theory gains much more traction. It's a function of conspiracy and apocalyptic theories that they often contain considerable elements of truth and very plausible, very probable events. So the use of um, human bias is very popular, especially with the conspiracy and apocalyptic theorists. Um, and coupled with the confirmation bias, all the loose ends can be tied up and it provides a very comfortingly accurate explanation for these things in, in life which are otherwise totally and brutally random. Many things that happen in life are very brutal and unkind, but if it can be explained away with one convenient explanation that it's all part of a large plan or a, an unfolding prophecy, that adds a certain level of comfort to people. The problem you have with the disinformation movement is when things start to be proven wrong, then there's a huge amount of uh, dissonance sets in. This is especially true of last week. This time last week when the capital of the United States was stormed by supporters of Trump under his own bidding and it was repressed and finally we're ending up with the president the outgoing president being impeached this is not something that was foretold by many of the conspiracy theorists and the huge amount of dissonance is actually causing a lot of distress for people because the prophecy is no longer playing out exactly as they exactly as predicted so there's been a lot of um, history changing going on and uh, it feels a little cruel to say this but on social media especially I've actually been saving an archive of various pieces that have proven to contain huge disinformation because I'm acutely aware of the potential for certain things to be explained away. Understanding as I do that human cognitive biases make people very reluctant to give up any of their uh, beliefs because to them to give up one belief would be to give up all beliefs. Um, in the disinformation movement it's been very relevant this uh, apocalyptic scenario which has been explained by quite outlandish theories rather than accept the pandemic as the inevitable outcome of human decisions irresponsible actions and the evolution inherent in nature it's much easier to latch on to a theory which explains everything and it's a very uncomfortable analogy but it reminds me of Hitler's view that the Jews 
were responsible for all the ills which befell the, the pre-Nazi Germany, the Weimar Republic. Popular culture also tends to feed confirmation bias because um, people are very attracted to the romance of dystopia and the human response to ap apocalyptic scenarios um, and popular culture, popular fiction informs a lot of these uh, beliefs, I guess you could call it. A typical confirmation of that would be uh, George Orwell's 1984 with his visions of excessive surveillance and Yes, it is absolutely true that Big Brother, in the form of security cameras, is watching, in a huge sense, around the world. What this um, reference fails to mention, though, is that many things from the book 1984 do not exist, and humans have found a way to adapt to constant surveillance, to enjoy moments when they're free of this. So the popular culture references tend to be unfortunately very superficial and one size fits all when it comes to apocalypse scenarios and that's because these uh, stories have a generally have a storybook ending and it's a human tray to really gravitate towards that kind of thing I'm not dismissing it it's a, it's what makes us all human but to apply it in everyday life and to try to force um, force the facts and the current events into a, a particular framework of um, a prophecy or a theory is at some point it's just going to result in a huge dissonance when people realize that the uh, the facts are not playing out as they theorized or as they believed the same is true of cults when uh, inevitably certain inconsistencies get exposed even when they have as mentioned in the last episode even when they have a convenient explanation for everything and my final point really is the concept of being awakened or enlightened or woke as is often said since the millennium. In the cult I'm particularly referring to the followers had a so-called light of the truth and that I think conferred a certain self-perceived moral superiority and also a responsibility to be evangelical and tell everybody else about this so-called truth to try and enlighten them too. And this, um, this inflated self-importance of being the chosen people, um, the people who would have some great mystery revealed to them, or who already have had a mystery revealed to them, I think that's key to maintaining confidence in the cult and in its principles and beliefs 
it's romantic and exciting to have something that the rest of the world was, in theory, missing out on. And any opposition or questioning was dismissed as envy or being in darkness, being unenlightened. The disinformation movement is exactly the same in that principle. People self-declaring as woke or enlightened or somehow informed of something that's uh, exciting and mysterious and which is in contrast to the majority of the sheep, the uninformed people. Again, I refer back to the false belief that many people following this the disinformation movement state that they arrived at certain conclusions by independent thinking, not digesting them from videos and memes or even bad actors. That tends to lend a sense of self-importance, which is really familiar to those who've studied the Dunning-Kruger effect, where people's confidence in their own beliefs is actually independent, is in inversely proportional, sorry, to the uh, to the actual knowledge they have. And one thing I found about self-professed enlightened or awoken individuals is that anyone who questions the existence or the extent of the so-called rabbit hole is written off as being blind or ignorant to something which those who are enlightened clearly understand. And because the sources are independent and supposedly maverick, those following disinformation movement tend to think any and all other media is out to deceive without looking at their own media sources, which are also considerably questionable. And this makes use of a very simple problem. It's a conundrum for people. It's much easier to say that we know something than to admit we don't properly understand something, that we have an incomplete set of facts, an incomplete knowledge of something. For example, the pandemic. We still do not fully understand this virus. It's an evolving and extremely complex mechanism. And rather than accept that even the scientific experts have not fully cracked it yet, it's easier to dismiss it as something which is made up. The, uh, the human ego is too fragile to accept that a theory is unfounded and that a follower has been taken in by it and is being conditioned by the creator for their own interests. So that really resumes all of the topics that I intended to discuss. And I apologize if it seems very heavy. It's uh, it's a lot of analogy. And I'm always conscious that most analogy is faulty. 
those two things are not the same a cult and the entire broad generalization of the disinformation movement they're not the same thing but i wanted these three episodes of this podcast to serve as a um, striking comparison of how closely those two entities are related if everybody from my followers is still with me at this point i'm probably going to be surprised it's uh it's difficult for those who've built a house of cards of pseudo information so big that uh, the paranoia is proportional that part of it might be destroyed but there is no harm in actually having a small part of our beliefs destroyed we're very reluctant to let any kind of belief go but it's important to remember that we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater and that's a take home for many who leave the religious cult to which I was referring indirectly that it's not necessary just because the cult as a whole is wrong to throw out the baby with the bathwater you can still retain beliefs and individuality and certain principles that are used to found cults are quite right they are perfectly justifiable they're morally right too the problem being with those invested in a conspiracy theory or pushing disinformation is that they're fully invested in it and they have the most to lose in their mind it's a feeling rather like a house of cards that if you take out the card near the bottom even just one card then the entire house could collapse because it's built on quite faulty and fragile premises so is there a way at the end of this that we can counter the negative aspects of cults and of the disinformation movement they both threaten mental and to an extent physical health of people so the dangers which need exposing the problem being that labeling or antagonizing followers of either of these could serve just to reinforce their faulty logic and their conditioned beliefs my only way of finding some traction with people in either in either scenario i believe is to make small adjustments um that really help people think for themselves again not try to dismiss everything with a wild generalization too much change is just too extreme and it generally it achieves the exact opposite of our objectives I think it's really important to be really clear about uh, one's own beliefs and our moral standards. It's fine to take a stance and to believe very strongly in something. But on the other hand, it's very important to be prepared to adjust it and to publicly do so. it's important to question things 
for ourselves. But to reflect, for example, what, if any, reason do I have to mistrust a medical procedure, a research paper, a media source? Governments and experts do make errors, especially errors of judgment. It's only human. But can I really uh, extrapolate that to make them part of a sinister world-dominating order? There is a certain point at which rational reasoning has to take over. And I think if um, critical thinking and healthy skepticism is applied consistency, then we can help to reduce the movement, the propagation of disinformation. The most important take home there is consistency. For example, if I'm sharing perhaps a post which hasn't been carefully scrutinized, which is dismissing a conspiracy theorist, then am I really any better than that person? It's one thing to mock people who are closed off in their disbelief or in their strong belief in a system, but am I making the same error, the same biases subconsciously by mocking them? And I think it's important to know in humility, my own biases, my pride around what I have a hang up and to see how that influences the way I frame my thoughts. Another big take home for me is that it's always necessary to respect others, even at the same time we might be eroding their false beliefs or their unhelpful way of thinking and the only way to really do that is to use consistent facts carefully placed questions perhaps and allow the other person or persons to retain their dignity and to retain the dignity of rediscovering reality for themselves it's very difficult when somebody's heavily invested and very far down the rabbit hole. But if they sense that there is a level of respect there and that you're not falling into the same closed-minded trap, by placing facts in front of them consistently and continually, there is a possibility that eventually they may rediscover a true line of thought and that's why I don't feel like posting I told you so comments is at all helpful because it can actually work counterproductively to trying to um, to trying to promote truth in dialogue and above all at the end of all this um, it's only a human to not want to lose a belief. It's a, um, it's a loss aversion bias, but it makes us human. Of course, if I've invested time, 
and effort and perhaps even money part of my life in a specific uh, belief or a specific movement then it might take more than just a drastic change to get me to turn away from that I know for myself how many of these biases worked against me whilst I was still more or less following the cult and some of it was down to me being born into it and not realizing there was a choice but other things were simply not wanting to lose my idea of everything without realizing that you can actually take away some things and we can take away something from the disinformation movement the final lesson for me is that it's very easy to allow our beliefs to intervene and to allow our biases to influence how we think about something no matter what position we take whether we're on the side of science or law enforcement whether we are considering ourselves as mavericks, as revolutionaries, visionaries. It's very important to consider everything in the light of our own biases that we should know well. And that, to my mind, is critical thinking. So this marks the end of the third and final episode of a very different type of uh, podcast and it's more or less my musings notes I've been taking during the past year during this pandemic if my listeners are still with me and would like to hear more of this kind of thing I'd really grateful to have any and all feedback about it anything that will improve quality and listening interest in this as of Sunday, I'm going to be resuming my more journalistic podcasts. So if you've enjoyed that format also, thank you very much for continuing thus far. This has been Daniel Malter from the podcast Englishman in Montreal.